Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Six and a half lies a day. Uh, I'll give him one a day, but six and a half? No. We don't accept that. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Good to be back on this Monday, May 7. Uh, great to see you. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the Bill Press Show. Out of town for a couple of days on a little book tour here for uh, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. And a good thank you to uh, Peter Ungburn and uh, Evan McMorris-Santoro and um, Ted Ted Lou, right? Chris Lou. No, Chris Lou, not Ted Lou. He's a congressman. Chris Lou for filling in, and uh, great to see you back. Hope you had a great weekend. It was a beautiful time here in Washington, D.C. and in California, where I spent most of the weekend. And we have so much to talk about because... Now, I know it's hard to keep track, hard to keep up with the changing story of uh, Stormy Daniels and Rudy Giuliani. Rudy changes his tune, it seems, every day, um, but it keeps getting worse and worse for President Trump from the lips of Rudy Giuliani. Yes, telling us that uh, Donald Trump did know about the payments to Stormy Daniels. He did reimburse Michael Cohen, but he paid off Stormy Daniels. That had nothing to do with the campaign, even though it was just two weeks before the election. He did it to protect his family from the scandal that he had the one-night stand with Stormy Daniels out in Lake Tahoe. Rudy Giuliani, Mr. President, (laughs) made a mistake in hiring him. He ought to fire him fast before he does any more trouble. We got so much to talk about starting right there. And you have so much you want to comment on. We know that. So send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, and we'll catch up with you throughout the show. Jump right into all the news of the day, and there's lots of it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, sir. A couple of other stories making news. We go to the NBA, not to talk scores, because the playoffs are happening. We'll have more on that a little bit later. But the Milwaukee Bucks, they are looking for a new head coach. And one of the places they are looking is... 
the San Antonio Spurs because they have an assistant coach, Becky Hammond. She is the first and only full-time female assistant coach in the NBA. They are reaching out. They have asked the Spurs for permission to interview her to be Hmm. their head Hmm. coach. This would mean she would be the first female head coach in the history of the NBA. She's done four years with the San Antonio Spurs uh, as an assistant. She also... Uh, coach the summer league, which is where like some of the players play after the regular basketball mm-hmm, season, mm-hmm. and she uh, she won it uh, one mm, year. So mm. uh, she's highly regarded as being a very very good coach. Will she be hired as a full time head coach in the NBA? We will see. How do you think male basketball players would relate to a female coach? You know, it's an interesting question because like, I mean, let's face it. That yeah, right. Well, it's an interesting but, question because one of the things is, like, with college basketball coaches, you really are, like, talking about how to play the game, how it all comes together. And with professional basketball, a lot of it's really just managing egos. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a really good question. I we Time will tell. Time will tell. I, I'm not sure if she's going to get the job. I hope she does. hope she does. Uh, but hope we will does. see. Yeah. All right. A JetBlue flight was on its way from San Juan to Tampa over the weekend and minor issue that might slow things down their windshield cracked the outer layer of the windshield completely shattered which by the way is not completely uncommon according to this flight attendant she says this is something that happens sometimes it happens i won't say frequently but uh, i've had actually had this happen before so uh like i said there's multiple multiple layers uh, in the in the uh, windscreen and is the outer layer that uh, shattered so kind of looks like a bit of a spider web but uh, like I said, we were, we were not in any great danger. Doesn't that make you feel better? That was a flight attendant on board the flight that uh, was on its way. So what you have to do, the pilot has to stick his head out the window. Right, 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 right. So you yeah, can to see make where sure. he's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Okay, now Rudy says uh, Donald Trump not only paid off Stormy Daniels, he may have paid off some other women, too, if necessary. (laughs) Why did Donald Trump ever hire this guy? What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you. Happy Monday, Monday, May 7. And welcome back to a big work week here. Another big work week, another, another big news day and news week that we're going to have from this Trump White House. It never stops, never stops. And it's good to be back with you after a couple of days off on a book tour in California for From the Left, The Life in the Crossfire. You know all about it. My new book. Uh, getting great reviews and uh, great reception around the country. Uh, and a good thank you to uh, Peter Rockburn and Evan McMorris Santoro uh, and uh Ted, I get it, Chris Lou. I get it wrong all the time. Chris Lou for filling in while I was gone and keeping the good ship uh, Bill Press show afloat. Uh, and yes, indeed, we are back with you with all the news of the day. And you know, it's just hard to keep up with. Uh, but we try every day uh, with your help uh, as we come to you live coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
joining you on Free Speech TV, of course, and in the radio, on the radio, out in uh, Chicago, the greater Chicago area, WCPT, how about it, and through the state of Indiana on Indiana Talks. The big stories of the day today, yes, Rudy Giuliani won't shut up, and every time he gets, I mean, it seems like, do you want really want your lawyer out there on television on every possible show, uh, especially when he doesn't know what the admittedly, admittedly doesn't yet know all the facts? At least he doesn't have all his lies straight. At any rate, Rudy telling one lie after another on one show after another. Uh, John McCain expressing some regrets for choosing Sarah Palin and not choosing Joe Lieberman. Um Rudy saying yes, indeed, among other things he's saying, that uh, it's possible uh, the president paid off uh, a lot of other women, or at least some other women. It uh, just depends. If it was necessary, he would have paid them off, says Rudy, proving that he probably had a lot of affairs and doesn't care how much money he paid them. And uh, yes, that volcano on the big island of Hawaii, unbelievable footage and damage out there, and it is not over yet and could last for years. Well, where do we start? Start. I got to just tell you, man, how fast things are going. A little insight. Uh, and I mentioned this uh, a little earlier to uh, Peter and uh, Ray when we were putting the show together this morning. So Friday, I'm in San Francisco. I'm speaking to a great group called the Sacramento Seminar. Um, um, b- bunch of political professionals um, have been active in California politics for uh, a long time. Uh, and I mentioned here. So, so here's a little insight. I started with what it's like to be covering the Trump White House, what it's like to be a journalist in Washington today uh, with Donald Trump in the White House. Just, I said, just this week, here's what we've seen. We've seen the Washington Post report uh, that in in his first 466 days, uh, Donald Trump had told, uh, had made, the way they put it, 3,001 quote, false and misleading claims. Uh, In other words, he told 3,001 lies in 466 days, which amounts to six and a half lies per day. That's pretty good record for Donald Trump. I mean, that is far, far exceeds anything we've seen from any president or any politician in our lifetime. Um, At the same time, we find out the, the number two, that Rudy Giuliani has said everything Donald Trump said about not knowing about the Michael, the payments by uh, Michael Cohen to Stormy Daniels, not knowing about it and not reimbursing Michael Cohen, Rudy Giuliani, the president's new lawyer, says that's absolutely false. He did know about it, and he did reimburse Michael Cohen for the $130,000. We also learned that uh, Donald Trump had, uh, that Donald Trump's doctor during the campaign had lied about Donald Trump's uh, medical condition. The candidate, Donald Trump, had lied about his medical condition, and it was all based on one letter which the doctor says he didn't write at all, affirming that the president was in the greatest health of anybody who ever ran for president and would be the healthiest person ever to be in the Oval Office, if you remember that time during the campaign. And we found out that was all a lie, too, that the president actually dictated that letter over the phone to his doctor. His doctor typed it up and handed it out to reporters. And then we found out that the president had hired a new lawyer, Ty Cobb. His number one lawyer was leaving. 
uh, and uh, the president was hiring a man by the name of Emmett Flood, whom he had previously told reporters the rumors that he might hire Emmett Flood were totally false. This was a guy that he would never hire in a million years. So, got it? The Post, all the lies, Rudy Giuliani contradicting Donald Trump and Michael Cohen, the doctor with his one-page lie, and Donald Trump hiring Emmett Flood. Those four things, and they had all happened. This was Friday. I was giving this talk on Friday at noon in San Francisco. All four of those had happened in the two days since I had left Washington. That, that to me, just sums up what it's like covering this Trump White House, trying to keep up with the lies. And, of course, the biggest of all was Rudy Giuliani, and it continued through yesterday. Un-freaking-believable. Okay, so here's what I want to, uh, uh, here's my advice, friends, okay? Every once in a while, we get in a little trouble, we might need a lawyer. To just help us do something or to get us out of a jam. Okay, Tuesday evening, my first night in California, in, in Los Angeles, I had dinner with a group of the best trial lawyers in the business, in the nation, not just in California. Uh, it's a great group, friends of mine, uh, had a great time, hadn't seen them in a while. Okay, now, here's my deal. If you need a lawyer, get in touch, right? Send us an email. I'll refer you to any one of those lawyers. But my advice is, don't hire Rudy Giuliani. Don't hire Rudy Giuliani. How could you hire this guy? How could Donald Trump hire him? It has been nothing but trouble. And here, I'm sure you played this last week, but... um, and you and Peter and everybody else talked about it, but here's where it started. Last Wednesday night, Rudy Giuliani on with Sean Hannity. This is the easy piece, right? This is home territory for Rudy Giuliani, where he can tell any lie he wants, and they will love it. And But here, Rudy Giuliani, who stuns Sean Hannity uh, with the news, oh, of course, Donald Trump knew about this, and of course he reimbursed Michael Cohen. Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman 130000 I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign <laughs> money. No campaign finance violation. So, so they, they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm, and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Hannity. Oh, my God. Oh, no. He, more than Rudy, realizes what had just happened. Realizes what had just happened, right? After the president have said, and Michael Cohen has been saying for months, for Donald Trump, it was, I never met Stormy Daniels. I never had an affair with her. I didn't know anybody had paid her any money to shut up, and I didn't reimburse Michael Cohen once I found out that he had paid that money. And then all for months, Michael Cohen saying, uh, yes, I paid her. Donald Trump didn't know about it. He didn't pay me back. I paid it out of my own mortgage fund. For months, that's been the story by Michael Cohen and Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani in just those few seconds. Destroyed it. Oh. Destroyed it. Yeah, the whole thing. And said, no, none of it was true. 
So what's the, what's the White House going to do? Well, Donald Trump the next day, walking out to get on Marine One, uh, says, uh, oh, well, Rudy's just, uh, he's just a novice. He's just getting started. He doesn't have his facts right yet. When Rudy made the statements, Rudy's great, but Rudy had just started, and he wasn't totally familiar with every, you know, with everything. Yeah, wait a minute. But remember, Rudy Giuliani told reporters he had talked to Trump before he went on Sean Hannity and after he got off Sean Hannity. So what do you mean he didn't have his facts straight? And by the way, if if he doesn't have his facts straight, what's he doing on television? Right? Why would you put him out there? Yeah, there's no good, like, answer for this. No. Or like, why he did what he did. No, and he hasn't stopped. We'll get to that about yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump continuing. But Rudy, he's a great, great guy. Yeah. He really has his heart into it. He's mm-hmm. working hard. He's learning the subject matter. Uh, and uh, he's going to be issuing a statement, too. But he is a great guy. And, and remember, uh, even though he's been on the job two weeks, he just started yesterday, says Donald Trump. Another lie. Rudy understands this better than anybody. But when he made certain statements... He just started yesterday, so that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if he started yesterday or not. Man, he he went out there and just totally upset the apple cart and puts the president in the position of knowing about it, paying tr- a Cohen back, admitting that he's been lying all this time, and Rudy's whole contention is, here's what gets me, here's what they, where they decided to make their stand. His whole contention is that, yes, Donald Trump paid him back, but it was not illegal. It had nothing to do with campaign finance law because the reason he did this was, and we'll hear him say this in just a minute, to protect his family from embarrassment. He didn't want Melania and his sons or daughter to be embarrassed by the Stormy Daniel deal coming out right before the election. That's why he did it two weeks before the election. Rudy insisting, even though it was two weeks before the election, it had nothing to do with the election. That doesn't add up. It does not fly. I don't care how many times they say it. So you would think that maybe Rudy would go away and get his facts straight before he popped off again. To to be clear. No, no, no. The Trump clips that we played were Friday. Friday. Late in the morning. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So Rudy's going to get his facts straight before he goes out and talks again, mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. this stuff. So Rudy waited a day and a half. Mm-hmm. If Cause, that. Because Sunday yeah. he was back on TV. He probably gave some other interviews in the meantime. Probably. Yeah, probably. right. But he's back on TV uh, with this week, George Stephanopoulos. Uh, and right away he says, so uh, question. Would uh, Well, actually, let's start with he did say uh, he, he's not sure that uh, Donald Trump would testify and meet with Robert Mueller. Nobody, he says, no attorney really recommends that he do that, which is true. <laughs> we know why. But what was this payment all about? Here's Rudy Giuliani, why he made this pay- payment. Pay- payment. This, this was for another purpose, to protect him, to protect his family. It may have involved the campaign. doesn't matter. And it would have been done under any other circumstances if there was no campaign. Yeah, right. So it would have been done anyway and it had nothing to do with the campaign, even though it happened just two weeks before the campaign. It was only there to protect his family. Well, the fact is, again, I don't believe that for a second, but whether it was true or not, 
it was a campaign, it was a payment made to his attorney and not reported on his finan- on Donald Trump's financial forms and not reported to the FEC. And don't tell me it didn't have anything to do with the campaign. In fact, Rudy Giuliani had said on May, he said May 3rd, what was that, last Wednesday, I believe, right? Uh, he's on oh, Fox and Friends. That's right. After Sean Hannity went on Fox and Friends, now he said this. Remember, this is a guy who asserts that it has nothing to do with the campaign. Rudy Giuliani told Fox and Friends, imagine if that came out on October 15 in the middle of, you know, the last debate with Hillary Clinton. Thereby admitting <laughs> if that had come out in the last debate, what he's saying is that would have killed Donald Trump's chances. So it had something to do with the election. It had everything to do with the election. <laughs> everything to do with the election. Uh, but Donald, so then the question comes up. <laughs> uh, George Stephanopoulos, I thought this was great. Ask him this question. Well, how many other women did he pay off, Rudy? I have no knowledge of that. Uh, but I, w- I, w- I would think if it was necessary, yes. If it was necessary, yes. In other words... There probably were other women. If it was necessary, meaning to shut them up too, right? Yes, he would have paid others off. You know what? There are other women. And it's only a matter of time before we find out who they are I, and how much he paid them. I'm not an attorney. You're not an attorney. But yeah, I got wait a minute. You and I are better attorneys than Rudy Giuliani. That's fair. That's totally fair. But knowing what we know about Donald Trump and the fact that he probably lies to his attorneys, which, like, Mm. is number one, like, golden rule, right? Like, (laughs) don't lie to your attorney. But, like, you know that, that, like, if you're his attorney, you have to assume that this has happened before. You have to assume that this has happened before. Yeah. So if you're Rudy, you have to keep that door open that, yeah, this might have happened before. There's a good chance it's happened before. Okay. And so just what just want to know about this relationship between Donald Trump and uh, Rudy. So Rudy's on television yesterday morning. We just heard the clips, right? Uh, and saying, no, he, 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 he wouldn't recommend that he meet with Robert Mueller because he lies all the time. Uh, and, yeah, uh, this had nothing to do with the campaign. And, yeah, he probably paid off other women. And then what happens? Um, he went golfing with Donald Trump. Yesterday. Hell yeah. Yeah, right? No, don't tell me these two guys are not in bed with each other and that Rudy's off the range. No, Donald Trump likes what he's doing. It is absolutely insane. Tell you one thing, he's not helping at all, and neither is Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway actually yesterday on uh, with Jake Tapper on State of the Union, she made this unbelievable statement. Did did the president have an affair with Stormy Daniels? Here's her answer. Or do you believe him? She said that he did not have an affair. She said, quote, yes, he's denied it. So I have no reason to believe otherwise. I mean. If she can work for Donald Trump as long as she's worked for Donald Trump and make that statement, she's just a total idiot. Right? How can anybody close to Donald Trump, having lived through so many lies, six and a half a day, remember, say, he's denied it, so I have no reason to believe otherwise. 
Uh, I told you the story that I remember way back in the Bill Clinton days, in the crossfire, my crossfire days, uh, and I love her to death, Eleanor Cliff, that with Newsweek then at the time, sitting right alongside of me on the set about Bill Clinton, said, my president says he didn't do it, and I believe my president. And I said to myself, oh, not I. <laughs> right. Not I. Uh-uh. I said, someday, I'm thinking of myself, Eleanor, someday you're going to regret saying that. And she does. But here's, El- here's Kellyanne Conway. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Stormy Daniels, <laughs> she hasn't gone away. She, not at all. She was... Uh, on, she was the surprise. By the way, that was a Socko open, right, for uh, Saturday Night Live on Saturday. They had so many people in there, uh, including Stormy Daniels making a surprise. It wasn't announced ahead of time, was it? I don't think so, right? No, I didn't see it. No, surprise appearance herself with Alec Baldwin playing uh, Donald Trump. And he wants to know, uh, so how can I get rid of this issue, Stormy? Just tell me, what do you need for this to all go away? A resignation. Yeah, right. <laughs> Being president is like doing porn. Once you do it, it's hard to do anything else. <laughs> uh, and her little warning to Donald Trump, which uh, could be uh, <laughs> true in real life as well. I solve North and South Korea. Why can't I solve us? Sorry, Donald. It's too late for that. I know you don't believe in climate change, but a storm's a coming, baby. <laughs> A storm's a coming, baby. Stormy Daniels to Donald Trump. I I, I don't know where this goes now, but I got to tell you, um, you know, it in a sense, how uh, delicious and how appropriate that in the end, what brings down Donald Trump may not be Robert Mueller. Uh, it may not be collusion with Russia. It may not be obstruction of justice. In the end, what brings the tabloid president down might be a porn star. Yeah. Right. We had a great and, conversation. And the lying about, about making the payment and lying about it to shut her up in order uh, in order to influence the outcome of the election. Yeah. That's it's 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 got a, it's a it's it's a cover up. It looks like it's a violation of campaign laws. And it's one lie after lie after lie after lie. Yeah. There it is. We had a great conversation with Evan when he was hosting and Ben Terrace from the Washington Post about how uh, some of these stories, we can't really measure the impact of them until weeks, sometimes months out, right? Mm-hmm. Like when the Stormy Daniels thing came up, I remember we talked, this was months ago, uh, we talked about how weird it was that it wasn't getting much coverage, that the President of the United States mm-hmm. had an affair with an adult mm-hmm. film actress and it was not the biggest story of the day, right? And we moved on from it pretty quickly, but then it came back up. And then it went away a little while, and then it yeah. came back up, and then it just kept growing. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, like, that's the thing about Trump, right? Like, you never know what it is that's going to be the thing. Right. Uh, and, you know, we've, 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 we've said we're not going to play this game, but you do have to think what would have happened, right, if this had come up under Barack Obama? Just imagine. Imagine, right. They would not have let up at all. And yet, with all of this coming out every day about Donald Trump, have you heard Mitch McConnell say anything about this? 
Have you heard any Senate Republicans condemn the president for any of this? Have you heard Paul Ryan, Mr. Holier-than-thou, Paul Ryan, right, talk about any of this? It's crickets, man. Yeah. Total crickets, right? I mean, yeah. But they'll, they'll defend this guy no matter what, what happened. The one thing you can say, though, and Michael Avenatti, Stormy Daniels' attorney, said this yesterday on This Week. <laughs> he followed Rudy Giuliani this week, and he was basically speechless. He couldn't believe uh, all the stuff that Rudy had said. Uh, and as he points out, if the, the more Rudy talks, the stronger the case is for Stormy Daniels. The more Rudy Giuliani talks, uh, the more Michael Cohen talks, the more statements that the president gives on Air Force One, the better our case gets with each passing day. Every, every single passing day, you're absolutely right. But that, that again, gets back to the idea, right, that, like... They're their own worst enemy. They really are. And we, for weeks, talked about how Donald Trump was having a hard time finding an attorney, and then he settled on Rudy Giuliani, which I understand and, re- and recognize that, like, he's a former attorney. But former U.S. attorney. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, right. But like it took him a while to get here. It took him a lot. A lot of other lawyers had to say no before he ended on Rudy Giuliani. So it's not like Rudy Giuliani is notorious and known for his great lawyering. No. You know what he hired Rudy Giuliani for? Because he's good on television. At well, least he thought, he, thought he, he was good on television. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's another it's another case of, of uh, you know, like we <laughs> We've seen how many people has he hired? Larry Kudlow, Joe, Joe DeGena for for at least for a brief uh, thought, maybe of twenty four hours, because he saw him on saw him on television. Um, just one final reflection on a totally different story. Uh, sad news coming out of Arizona today. Clearly, uh, John McCain um, in his final days. He has a new book coming out. Uh, he recorded uh, the book. Um, and and he's meeting with um, friends who've come coming by. Just they say not to say goodbye, but for one still one final visit with John McCain. Um, his son-in-law, Megan McCain's husband, Ben Dominich, I guess you pronounce it, uh, was saying yesterday how much the family appreciated this outpouring of love and support for John McCain, who again uh, is dying of brain cancer. This is a terrible disease, and we appreciate all of the support that we've been given by a lot of different folks who have come out and and met with him over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, The family is very thankful for that and thankful for all the prayers and and good wishes that we've heard from so many different Americans. And he says also that uh, the senator is receiving people, and uh, he is uh, um, doing actually pretty well. He's doing well. He's he's talking. He's uh, chatty, and he's uh, walking around. Uh, and and surprising, I think, is that one of the things that John McCain has told people, and, I, and he says this in his book as well, that he regrets now regrets naming Sarah Palin as his vice presidential nominee in 2008. It was one of the biggest mistakes ever made in politics. Uh, he he was talked into that by people like um, Bill Kristol from the uh, Weekly Standard. Uh, he says he wishes he had named Joe Lieberman, his buddy, his sidekick, and the Democratic president from Connecticut, which certainly would have made history to have. And you know what? Joe Lieberman would have taken it. He was, oh, 100%. He was Al Gore's vice president. As far as I'm concerned, it, it was Joe Lieberman who gave the recount away. 
and really cost Al Gore the election. Uh, and would he have run with a Republican on the Republican ticket? You bet. Yes. In fact, don't I recall that he spoke at the Republican National Convention? He did. He did, didn't he? Did. He, he did. Support, absolutely yeah, did. Supporting John McCain. Yep. Uh, but I. But you know what? Who knows? But my belief is, even with Joe Lieberman, John McCain would have lost that election to Barack Obama. Yeah. Yeah. No way he could have beat Barack Obama, or should have. But anyhow, uh, best wishes to uh, John McCain, uh, and uh, and it's good to see him meeting with his friends, including Vice President Joe Biden back down there. Hey, we got a great line a lineup of guests. We're going to be talking with Alex Seitwald from uh, NBC News a little bit later. Jordan Fabian from uh, covers the White House for The Hill. Uh, and we start off, coming up next, from Think Progress, the good Addie Baird, political reporter. We'll be a uh, quick break. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. Here we are on a Monday, May 7. Great to see you folks and good to be back with you. Coming to you live, as always, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Five Unions, Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. I guess that's four, not five. Uh, they put them together, and they are the Smart Union. Good members of the Smart Union giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, you bet. And you can find out more about their good work under President Joseph Sellers by going to their website, smart-union.org. Org. And joining us uh, in studio from the great Think Progress political reporter, uh, Addie Bear. It's nice to see you again, Addie. Good to be here. Everything good? Everything's, I mean, good. As good as it can be, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not good, damn it. Uh, but anyway. It's chaos all the time. Yeah, you've been uh, covering a lot, of, a lot of good stuff. We'll jump right into it. But uh, we've been... Uh, at it for a little while, stirring up a few comments and a little bit of dust here, Peter. Yeah, remember you can find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. Uh, Walker says uh, Rudy is intentionally making the misstatements to get revenge for not being appointed to the cabinet. Well, that's a conspiracy theory that I can well, sort yeah. of get. By the, behind. by the way, just on that point, you know, he was seriously talked about as Attorney General oh, yeah. or Secretary so, yeah, of State, yeah. and he didn't get either job. Which means, at that time at least, Donald Trump knew, maybe I don't want this guy to have some top job in my administration. Now he turns around and makes him his spokesperson. Right? Yeah. Uh, Kurt, talking about Hello. the payoff, the payoff to Stormy Daniels, says uh, Trump was all about Trump and that payoff. There is a prenup that neither Trump cheats on the other for four years. They married in 2005. Donald Trump screwed around in 2006. He violated the prenup. And Melania could take him to the cleaners. Well, that's one way to look at it. That's, again, a little bit of a conspiracy. Theory. So, in other words, the protect his family line really means to Pro cover his ass? Protect my money. Yeah, protect, protect my, my money. money. <laughs> uh, also, remember, we are on YouTube. YouTube.com uh, slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, Susan says about the McCain comments and say he doesn't want Donald Trump at his funeral. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, right. Susan says, after all the mud that Donald Trump has slung at McCain, I don't blame him one iota. Uh, no, I don't either, but I, think about that. Donald Trump not invited to Barbara Bush's funeral. Donald Trump already not invited to John McCain's funeral. Well, yeah. I mean, that even... speaks volumes that people want the President of the United States at 
this present at their funeral. It I, does, but it also makes total sense. Like, like Trump insulting McCain isn't something that like only happened in you know the past during the campaign. He insulted him. At yeah. CPAC this year, he is still doing this. And, like, it, it it reminds me of Ted Cruz, who now is, like, buddy-buddy and writing, you know, the his Time 100 spiel. And, like, how, how can you turn around and be like, I love this man. You should come to my funeral if you have any sort of spine. I just want to be clear, and I want to make sure that this is put on record. I don't want Donald Trump coming to my funeral either. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you too? Yeah. You right. too? All right. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. right. Okay. Yeah, we don't want him there. It's on record. Yeah. I also don't want him there. If Donald Trump outlives me, that's going to be really terrible. <laughs> well, he might. Uh, you know, um, he lives forever. <laughs> that's right. Ronnie Jackson said he could live to be 200. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. Maybe we should start um, a petition, right? Hey. For those who do not want Donald Trump yeah. at their funeral. Right. Hey, look, man, I'll do what I got to do. I'll be the bouncer at your funeral and make sure that Trump doesn't show up to yours as long as you do the same for me. All right. It's a deal. It's a pact. Oh, so, uh, Eddie, you've been covering so much stuff. Where to start? Where to start? I'll tell you, one of my favorite stories of last week was Father Patrick Conroy. Yes. It was not oh, my a goodness. great moment for Paul Ryan. Huh? Paul Ryan oh. had to totally cave in, didn't he? Oh, my gosh. I, I saw someone say, imagine being the Speaker of the House and getting politically outplayed by a priest. <laughs> um, yeah. Which right. is what happened. Exactly. Which yes. is exactly what happened. You know, especially after there haven't been a lot of shining moments for Paul Ryan recently. Um, and This, this was one, the dumbest move of This one was ever. just so ever. dumb. Yeah. Um, for, for anyone who hasn't kept up on this absurd little story, um, last month, Paul Ryan pressured the, uh, house, the, the house chaplain to resign, um, and he did. And then it came out that it was basically because Paul Ryan felt that this priest had been getting too political. And by too political, um, he means that in a prayer around the time of the tax bill, um, and, and on a few other occasions, he basically prayed that the members of Congress would create would create legislation that didn't create winners and losers, that they would be able to do things that, that help that, all Americans. That the tax cut would be fair to all Americans. That the tax cut would be fair to everyone. Yeah. And this, to Paul Ryan, was Shocking. too political. Right. So political, right. So Got political. It. So he pressures him to resign. Uh-huh. Um, and then he the, the father rescinded his resignation and wrote this like scathing letter that was based Basically, like, you pressured me to resign by you never talked to me. You never sent me a message. You did this all through your chief of staff. He sent this to Ryan and released it publicly and was like, I'm not resigning. I'm going to serve out my term, which is this uh, this mm-hmm. um, Congress. And uh, Paul Ryan looked so stupid. Um, he was politically outplayed by a priest um, and he accepted the um, <laughs> anti-resignation. And here we are. And and. In so doing, I mean, he pissed off and embarrassed his Republican colleagues as oh, well yes. as De- I mean, Democrats were outraged. Oh yes, but so were so many of his Republicans. You know, who said, "This, what are you doing this for? We like this guy." Right? This it, it, Paul Ryan made some major, major missteps here, yeah. and for the last three years of his life. <laughs> right. right. But, I mean, how could he have done this one? I mean, what? 
you know, what persuaded him to do this? I think he really thought, I think that Paul Ryan really thought that, you know, he's still the Speaker of the House and he was upset by this and there's no reason why he should have to, you know, <laughs> sit right. through sit through a, 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 you know, message from a priest that's upsetting to him and, you know, that's not how it works. <laughs> and, and, and so there was nobody around him who said, wait, Paul, do you realize this would be the first, if you do this, right, this would be the first chaplain fired in the history of the United States Congress. The first chaplain fired since 17... They didn't even know if Paul Ryan had the power to fire him. That's why right. he pressured him into resigning. But the fact that it would be the first one since 1789, yeah. Yeah. Paul, there might be a little, if this comes out, right, this might not look too good, right? Duh. You think? Duh. You think? <laughs> Oh, nobody says that to him, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, meanwhile, um, the Boy Scouts have um, stirred things up a little they bit, huh? They sure have. They've, yeah. Uh, they've, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Not the Boy Scouts. The Scout. Scouts BSA. The Scouts BSA. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, they have dropped Boy from their name or will be dropping Boy from their name um, in, in you know, preparation for accepting uh, girls into the troop. Um, and that is, When does that start? Uh, next year, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and that is very upsetting to a lot of people uh, like Mike Huckabee, <laughs> who went on Fox News and said that the emasculation of the Boy Scouts is complete. <laughs> That's what this amounts to, huh? Apparently. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Apparently. So, <laughs> they've turned them all into castrati, right? This is the mass castration of the Boy Scouts. Uh, apparently. Yeah. I mean... Please, Mike Huckabee, there are other issues to worry about. No. And by the way, it's great that the Scouts are now uh, accepting girls, right. member, girl right. members. And if you do, you can't really call them boy the scouts. boy scouts, right? right? I mean, this is a no-brainer, it just seems to me, right? right? Yeah. They've also had, you know, they, there are some people who have suggested, <laughs> suggested that a lot of this, that this doesn't just have to do with accepting girl with accepting women into the, or girls into the troop, but also because they've got these low membership numbers. They've got so many, like, there's been a lot of bad press for the Boy Scouts in the last few months, and they're just ready to kind of move forward in a mm. new way. Um, right. And and that's deeply upsetting to, to many on the right for yeah. whatever reason. Right. I keep losing that's, my ear. That's right. We'll get it back. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the um, – and also, the, this – the Boy Scouts didn't help themselves by inviting um, President Trump to speak right. to their rally last right. July right. when he gave that uh, – very, very political speech. And oh, very, that was uh, absurd. Uh, Off-color speech. I actually. forgot about that. Remember? Yeah. yeah I would completely forgotten about that. Yeah. Wrong place. Absurd. Totally the wrong place for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, on the political front, and um, you've been all over the place, but let's start, let's talk a little bit about West Virginia. You know, so this Don Blankenship. Yes. Former coal executive who uh -huh. is still on probation uh, uh -huh. after, after serving some time in prison. Uh, for violating safety rules, which resulted in the death, I think, of 29, 29 people, 29 minors. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he is running for uh, the Republican nomination for Senate, and it looked like that Mitch McConnell had poured so much money in there that Blankenship was losing tr ground and was maybe down in third place. That's turned around, hasn't it? Yeah, he's gotten <clears throat> he's gotten um, a, a lot of favorable. Like, I mean, I mean, yes, people in West Virginia seem really interested in him. Um, and as as we know, uh, pouring money into Republican primaries uh, in in order to 
um, not get a Roy Moore or a Don Blankenship doesn't always work for mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell. Right. Um, I think that there is a very I, – I wouldn't put money on Blankenship winning this primary tomorrow, but I – it is tomorrow. That's right. It is yeah. tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Uh, but I wouldn't rule it out. There's too many people who have already ruled out the possibility of Don Blankenship lose, uh, uh, winning this nomination. And I don't think that we can rule that so out. So Blankenship, of course, has all the money in the world to spend mm-hmm. right, on his own. Um, and his ads have become increasingly bitter and personal and racist. They're absurd. And, and directed against Mitch McConnell. Yes. Here, here's, uh, here's one of them. I'm Don Blankenship, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. While doing so, Mitch has gotten rich. In fact, his China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. Mitch's swamp people are now running false negative ads against me. They are also childishly calling me despicable and mentally ill. The war to drain the swamp and create jobs for West Virginia people has begun. I will beat Joe Manchin and ditch cocaine Mitch for the sake of the kids. The thing I can't get over with this ad, I mean, there's so many things you can't get over with with this ad, but that he says they have been childishly, childishly calling me mentally ill and... And then he turns around and 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 calls them all names and insults them all and like as I mean what's he called cocaine Mitch he calls him cocaine, cocaine Mitch, Mitch. there this is this is according to him because there was cocaine found on McConnell's uh, a ship owned by McConnell's father-in-law that there was a p- report in like 2014 about it and anyway that it's this. They, he called yeah. him cocaine Mitch now. Yeah. I have to say, by the way, after hearing that ad, it reminded me of another politician. And this is a total throwback, but this is something that we had fun with back in 2010 because this was a man running for the governor of Tennessee, Basil Marceau. I'm BasilMarceau.com, the Republican candidate for governor. I'd like to recall <laughs> all permits and registration for guns. Everyone can carry guns. If you kill someone, no, you get murdered. You go to jail. There you go. See, like he reminded me so much of Basil. Oh Remember BasilMarceau.com? <laughs> he has the same thing. He has the same uh, cadence. It's the same, like, totally dead voice. Exactly. Mm. Right. Absurd. Yeah. So they could get stuck with, uh, th- I mean, this would be a great boon to Democrats, right? If I mean, one, I would, mean, one would hope. Right? You One would hope. Yeah. yeah. I, again, I'm not convinced that he wouldn't beat Joe Manchin. I I think that this is this is a crisis that that uh could this could be a crisis for Republicans and Democrats and I think that anyone ruling out the possibility that blanket chip could secure the nomination tomorrow is is uh getting ahead of themselves. Boy, that's pretty frightening. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But as you say, frightening to uh people like Mitch McConnell who would like to have somebody there that they could be proud of sure. or support. Sure. Uh and frightening for Democrats because you're right. You you never know. Joe Manchin is one of the most vulnerable Democrats out there and you know, I, I think any Republican uh is is a viable challenger to Joe Manchin, but especially one that kind of can rile up a base that can, you know, really get people to pour money into it and I don't know. I think that this is really a dangerous race for for everybody. Mm-hmm. 
Um, another race, Dem- the special elections have been going pretty well for Democrats this, yeah, year, this year, the last they've ex- been until booing. Arizona, Arizona eight, and you Arizona's- were out there. The, the Democrats have a shot at that. So here's the thing. Um, I you, you said that uh, special elections have been going well for Democrats until Arizona. I think Arizona is the best it's gone for Democrats. Really, really. Trump won this seat because they Trump won this seat by 21 points. Yeah. Uh, Geraldo Brineni lost by five points. This is every Democrat I talk to. Uh, you know, consultants within the party, people with her campaign. Um, you know, people working on cinema's campaign. This is great news. Tipperneni losing by only five points in Arizona's eighth district is such good news for someone like Representative Cinema, um, who, who's running to replace um, uh, Jeff Flake. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is really there is no reason this. District. Because it shows what? Energy, turnout? Energy, turnout. This district, there is no... So when you look back at special elections, um, like, you know, Roy Moore uh, losing in Alabama, Connor Lamb winning in Pennsylvania, there's all of these kind of other factors that come into these elections. In Alabama, there's these extremely credible reports that Roy Moore is essentially a child molester. Um, in Pennsylvania, the district actually has historically Democratic registration, strong unions. Um, Connor Lamb is sort of this extremely traditional, uh, you know, a handsome young white guy with a history in politics in, in the district. Arizona has none of that. Hmm. It is it is Harald Tipperneni, who is brand new to politics. She's a woman of color. It's Debbie Lesko, who is a traditional for this moment Republican. The district is older, whiter, historically Republican, and Haral Tipperneni loses by only five points. That should be, of course, Republicans keep the seat. That's mm-hmm. great for them. That should be the scariest result of all for Republicans everywhere. Because it shows that Democrats can w- run strong and maybe even win in heavily Trump districts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting take on that. Uh, so the president yesterday, saving this to last, the president yesterday, uh, I'm sorry, on Friday, yep. uh, went out to Dallas, wasn't it? For it was, the, yep. For the uh, NRA convention. Um, uh, again, had people shaking their heads by some of the things he said. He insisted again um, that the Second Amendment, Second Amendment, the, the Democrats want to take everybody's guns away. Your Second Amendment rights are under siege, but they will never, ever be under siege as long as I'm your president. And he says that, did you realize uh, these gun-free zones that the Democrats want to set up, that's where most mass shootings take place? Ninety-eight percent of mass public shootings have occurred in places where guns are banned, just so you understand. Mm-hmm. Places where guns are banned, like, by the way, in inside of that auditorium for the NRA when he was speaking and when Mike Pence was speaking. Gun-free zone. They did make it a gun-free zone. Um, yeah. president also said some pretty racist things while he was there. Oh, he sure did. Um, he hearkened back to his original um, remarks about Mexicans being racist. Uh, you know, when, when they send people, they're not sending their best uh, the comments that he made in um, almost three years ago now, 
uh, which has flown by, um, uh, when he announced his intention to run for president. Um, And he hearkened back to those comments on Friday, and he said, you know, remember, I was criticized for those, but I'm telling you, you know, I was right, and, and, and said it again. When... When they send people, they're sending gang members, they're not sending their finest, you know, um, and and really just um, doubled down all these years later on. He told us who he was right out of the gate. It was a, um, a sort of a little throwback in the sense that right after Parkland, remember, there's a time when he said, oh, the NRA, they're great people, they're patriots, right? I love them. But they're not always right. And um, and we could make some changes, and the NRA is just going to have to live with them. I'm paraphrasing, but he did say they're not always right. Yeah, he what said they don't have they don't have power over me. There were, to a group of, of of members of Congress who gathered um, at the White House, he said they don't have power over me like they have power over you. Um, and around the same time, he also you know talked about supporting possibly raising the age uh, to buy a firearm from from 18 to 21. Right. He talked about you know, uh, making background checks more universal and more effective, and all that's gone. This is how Trump does things. Take everything he says with a grain of salt. Nothing. He doesn't mean anything. He doesn't, and he's wrong. The NRA does have power over him. The NRA has power over almost everyone on on Capitol Hill and in the White House, including President Trump. It's a lie uh, that that they don't have power over him and that they they don't you know want to play him like a fiddle just like they play every well, other Well, after making that statement that um, that they're patriots but, they, but they're not right about everything, that and afterward he had that private meeting with the leadership yeah. of the NRA yes. in the Oval Office. Yes. And, and uh, yeah. And, you know, we don't know what was said exactly, but we know what was said, you know? <laughs> they, they, uh, they have power over him just like they have power over... Uh, so many members of Congress, and uh, you know, here's the proof. The proof is in in the pudding. He showed up on Friday and uh, essentially gave a, a campaign speech to um, some some uh, very important uh, voters of his. Uh, and if I have my facts correct, uh, and like Rudy Giuliani, I unlike Rudy, I like to kind of have my facts straight before I speak. It's really remarkable in this day and age, Bill. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe I have my facts straight that no president had ever addressed the annual convention of the NRA, and Donald Trump has done so now two years in a row. He was the first sitting president to address the NRA convention, And that, and that yes. was last year, yep. and then he was back again yep. this year. Yep. Right. Base. So, the base. It's the base. the base. All right. All right. So uh, as you've told us, you're in West Virginia. You're in Arizona. You're on top of these House races and Senate races. What are? How do you call, what are the odds that you would give for... Um, a change of control of Democrats being able to take back control this year of the House and the Senate. I think it's very unlikely the Democrats take the Senate. I think it is likelier the Democrats take the House. Um, We know, you know, political science tells us that um, midterms uh, are best for the party not in power. Um, That's just the way this works. Um, But I think this is a particularly interesting year. Uh, Debbie Lesko, who is the uh, Republican um, in Arizona, Arizona, uh, again and again said Democrats are energized like we were energized in 2010. Um, And I think that's true. Um, The map for Democrats to take back the House is possible. Um, I think that that it it is a real possibility the Democrats take back the House. 
Um, and Trump has said that if they do take back the House, he's worried that they will move to impeach him. So um, the the Senate map is much harder. Democrats have a lot of how uh, have a lot of seats to hang on to. Um, but if they can pick up the uh, seat in Arizona, which I think is possible, um, they I would I would definitely put money on them picking up um, Heller's seat in Nevada. Um, if they don't, that would be embarrassing for them. Um, and then they need to keep all of the the uh, seats that they won in states that Trump won. So we'll see. Don't forget Tennessee. Yes, I think Tennessee could be really interesting I, to I watch. Tennessee's could be the real gift for Democrats this year too. So. Howdy, Baird. You, uh, man, you run fast. You got a lot to cover <laughs> <laughs> all over the place. Uh, you do such a great job of it. Thanks uh, so thank much you, for Bill. coming in. Thank you for having Jordan me. Jordan Fabian coming up this next from the Hill the and the Bill White House. Press show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 3,001 lies in the first 466, 446 days. That's six and a half a day, according to the Washington Post. <laughs> Hard to keep up with that. Uh, good morning, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you. It is The Bill Press Show on a Monday, May 7. And it's great to be back with you after uh, a couple of days in California. Good to be back and pick up with all the news of the day. And there is lots of it. Rudy Giuliani doubling down yesterday uh, saying, well, the president, yes, he made off the, he made those payments. He knew it was going to reimburse uh, Michael Cohen for, for um, the payments he made to Stormy Daniels. But it doesn't make any difference because he didn't do it to anything to do with the campaign. He just did it to protect his family. How do we sort this all out? Well, with the help of a good friend, uh, Jordan Fabian from The Hill, White House correspondent for The Hill. Uh, hello, Jordan. Good to see you. Thanks for having me, Bill. And you were out in Cleveland with the president on Saturday? I was, Was well, yeah. that a big campaign event, a fundraising event? He raised some money for the Republican National Committee and then did uh, one of these tax events that inevitably goes into many other subjects. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't sneak off to a Cavaliers playoff game while you were out there? No, you? but I did see Serge Ibaka in the lobby of our hotel, which is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we got lots and lots to cover, and we'll do so, of course, with your help, and look forward to hearing from you, as always. Uh, send us your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, at BP Show. You dig in. We'll jump into it with Jordan in just a second. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, we've talked for a while about how California has such a large economy. For a while, people reference it as the eighth largest economy in the world. Well, it is no longer the eighth largest economy in the world. It is now the fifth yes. largest economy yes. in the world. That means it is bigger even than the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. 
which is shocking to me. California's gross domestic product rose by $127 billion from 2016 to 2017. Uh, and, like, for, for example, the United Kingdom's data, economic output data, actually shrunk a little bit over the same amount of time, which means it surpassed uh, the U.K., the fifth largest economy in the world. So for next time you hear someone talk about well, the rough shape that California is in, they seem to be doing okay. Uh, yeah, I just came back from five days in California. You know, Donald Trump well, recently said California is in such bad shape, and Jerry Brown said it was such a bad job. Yeah. It's not what I saw. Bill's well, trying to take credit for it. I was going to say, it was, <laughs> it, was an eight, it was an eighth place before you left. It's the fifth place now that you're back. You do the math. You do the math. And by the way, it shows how crazy it is. Jeff Sessions... Suing California yeah. on anything, particularly on the new uh, automobile, their cafe standard. Good luck. And saying that California's got to change. No, no. California's not going to change. It's the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah. Over the weekend, we saw the Kentucky Derby. Justify oh, was the big winner. Another big winner was a woman who went to Rotama Park in Salem, Texas. She bet on yep. several different races, including the Kentucky Derby. She put $18 on five different races, and when it was all said and done, she had won $1.2 million. Now, the horse alone brought in $1.24 million for for the team on Saturday just by winning. So the fact that she won just about the same amount by putting down that little amount of money is crazy. But it was just not just that race. I mean, I couldn't, I, I don't know how she bet like that, but she bet on several races, right? Yeah. And I guess hit them all. Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't ever and have never really been a big horse race gambler, but like you can do that type of stuff. Anyway, uh, finally, it's Monday, so let's take a look at the weekend box office. No surprises here. Number one is still Avengers Infinity War. How are they doing? They brought in $112 million this weekend. They have officially crossed the $1 billion worldwide mark. It is a record for how quickly they made it happen. It happened in 11 days. That's the fastest it's ever been done. I'm glad to hear that means I don't have to go see it. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Rudy Giuliani making news again yesterday saying, were there any other women? Did Donald Trump pay any other women not to talk? Well, if necessary, Rudy says, of course he did. What do you say, folks? <clears throat> That's the kind of spokesperson you, what you want out there representing you? I don't think so. It is the Bill Press Show. It's Monday, May 7. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our perch right here in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, or a studio on Capitol Hill, where we're reaching out to you on every platform possible online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on the great WCPT, the big progressive voice of the greater Chicago area, and looking at you on Free Speech TV as well in studio with us just back from a hop on Air Force One out to Cleveland with President Trump, uh, covers the White House for The Hill, Jordan Fabian. Jordan, always good to see you. Good to see you too, Bill. Thanks good, for having me. Good work uh, there over the weekend. So um, I realized today, looking at the New York Times, it was one year ago this week that Donald Trump fired James Comey. That's right. How'd that That's turn right. out? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> with a ballooning special counsel investigation, it's been, yeah. it's been pretty uh, pretty tough for the president, needless to say. Uh, I believe Steve Bannon called it the biggest political mistake in modern political history, and uh, yeah. and uh, you know there, there's many things he said that have not turned out to be correct, but that one, uh, yeah. there's something to that, I think. Uh, there is, and it was just the next day, uh, we know, that the president met in the Oval Office with uh, Ambassador Kislyak and the uh, Russian foreign minister uh, and said, as he's been quoted as saying, quote, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was crazy, a real nut job. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off. And yet here we are a year later, and there's still the question about why he fired Comey. Um which the White House doesn't seem to be able to get straight, right? Yeah, and, and it's become uh, of interest of Robert Mueller as he investigates whether the president tried to obstruct the Russia investigation. That list of questions published by the New York Times contained questions about what the president was thinking at the time he fired James Comey. And if he determines that he wanted to fire the FBI director to try to stop the Russia investigation, that could lead to legal problems for the president. And then you have... Like you mentioned before, Rudy Giuliani out there contradicting mm-hmm. the official White House line on the Comey firing, saying the, you know, the president basically fired him because he wouldn't clear him in the Russia investigation. Uh, these are these statements are not just being made in a bubble. They're being made under the specter of this federal investigation and everything that's said uh, people are taking notice of. Okay. It change. It seems to change every day, especially since Rudy Giuliani came on board. Uh, let's go back to last Wednesday. I mean, this, this stuff is happening so fast. This is just last Wednesday. Rudy Giuliani in the safe zone on Fox News with Sean Hannity uh, and stuns even Sean Hannity by what he admits or says for the first time. Here he is. Having something to do with paying some Stormy Daniels woman, 130000 I mean, which is going to turn out to be perfectly legal. That money was not campaign money. Sorry, I'm giving you a fact now that you don't know. It's not campaign money. No campaign finance violation. So, so they, they funneled it through the law firm. Funneled through the law firm, and the president repaid it. Oh, I didn't know he did. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> right. So they 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 can't seem to get their story straight on Stormy Daniels, right? What is the what no. is the what is the message? What is the story today? Did the do, did the president know about it? Did he did he know that she was being paid to shut up? And did he fail to report it? Or and why were there constant false statements given to the the media and the public about this payment? Uh, the president. As everyone remembers now, and it's been played over cable news on loop, on Air Force, on, on Air Force One. One told reporters he did not know about the payment, he didn't know where the money came from, and then referred us to Michael Cohen for the details. Now it comes out that the president didn't know about it. There's still a question of when he actually learned that what the money was for. And then there's this open question still, despite what Rudy Giuliani says, of whether this payment violates campaign finance law. That's still an open question. Uh, This came up with the John Edwards case, as everybody remembers. Uh, There was a hush money payment to a woman who Mm -hmm. says she slept with him. Uh, There was a question of whether that was for personal purposes or political purposes. 
Rudy Giuliani says it's not for political purposes, but then the next day, in, in, in the vein of these conflicting stories, says, can you imagine if this came out on yeah. October 15, 2016, right. and what, right. you know, directly linking it to the campaign. So, again, th- this payment is the subject of another investigation into Michael Cohen. So the prosecutors and the judge in that case, I'm sure, are looking at those those statements in an effort to determine motive as to whether they broke any laws. So these conflicting statements may have worked for the president in his business career when he liked to sort of obfuscate and confuse. But when when the, their investigations on the way, the stakes are much, much higher. I, I think that's a really good point, by the way. Like, it's pretty easy to get away with this type of stuff. When you're just a businessman and you got a lot of money, right? But when you become an elected official, and when you're the president of the United States, and when there are certain laws involved, and there are certain laws involved <laughs> around, uh, but, but like for, campaigns, but, but like for example, right? Like with the travel ban, the travel ban got thrown back in Trump's face because of the statements that he made. He went out and tried to sort of mm-hmm. BS his way around the travel ban. He didn't really have a clear idea of what it should look like or why they were doing it. He didn't sell it very well. And so he said a couple of things that the courts looked at and came back and were like, yeah, dude, you can't just say this stuff. Like, these are official record. This is you making a public statement about this stuff that you would like to see be law. And it's kind of the same thing here. You can't keep changing your story and expect it to, like, all of your previous statements, which were apparently untrue, to just go away. And it's hard, I think, and you just like Somebody's paying attention. Jordan, it's hard to make the statement that said nothing to do with the campaign. This was just to protect his family. When then you turn around and say, imagine if this had come out during the debate. Right. And, and like, I'm not saying that because Rudy Giuliani said that it, it, a judge and jury will decide right. is a campaign finance violation or whoever that's up to. They very well could, uh, you know, go through this all and, and say, no, this was just a personal payment and it doesn't break any laws. But statements like that make it harder to clear yourself. I mean, they open you up to tremendous legal risks. And I'll also point out that, you know, up until now, you know, despite all of this, the confusion and false statements, you know, the president, I mean, the president has gotten away with it up until now. I mean, he's he was elected president despite everything that happened on the campaign trail. He's still president right now. Uh, you know, his approval ratings are obviously low, but he hasn't been held to account by the public yet or or uh, or legal authorities for any of this. And, I mean, that could change, but up until now, that hasn't been the case. And and yesterday, so yesterday with George Stephanopoulos, uh, Rudy Giuliani adds yet another dimension to the question that I guess may have been the back of all of our minds, but nobody had asked, were there other women and were there other payments? I have no knowledge of that, uh, but I, w- I, w- I would think if it was necessary, yes. <laughs> If it was necessary, meaning, right, that was the only way to shut them up, yeah, we probably paid them off. Right. It's uh, it's an interesting strategy to just talk about this. I mean, great great, great for us, but uh, you have to wonder if, if Giuliani is serving Trump's best interest by going out and saying this stuff. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't think uh, that uh, I would want my attorney, right, uh, out there basically raising all these possibilities, right? I'm not I'm not sure he would be uh, representing me uh, as well. Now, there's another dimension to this, which uh, you face every day, and that is we've not only heard Donald Trump making all these denials, but every day you've heard, and when I'm there, Sarah Huckabee Sanders 
making these denials. And and that got a little testy Thursday uh, at the briefing. I was out of town, but I followed it, uh, asking her, I mean, if you, if you can't believe the president, can you believe Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Right. And that's, I mean, her, her credibility is, is a huge question right now. And um, I, yeah, look, I, I don't know exactly what she knew, but uh, it certainly appears, if you're reading between the lines of what she was saying at that briefing, that she did not have the up-to-date information that she gave to us. And now I'm not absolving her of responsibility. Uh, if she if she is committed to doing her job effectively, she'll go to the president and say, sir, I need the best information. I need accurate information to, to put out there or else I can't do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now there's a lot of, I mean, publicly and privately reporters questioning whether she, uh, she is a credible spokesperson for this president. And she kept coming back uh, to this... Uh defense, we give the best information we have at the time. Right. Right. And that's that's a function of this White House is the, you know, the quote unquote truth seems seems to change by the day. So um, and, and also, if you look at what she's but, on, on personnel issues, she said that, you know, H.R. McMaster was safe. And then a week later, he was out. That might have actually been true when she said it, that the president had decided to keep him. But this president is a mercurial guy and is known to change his mind very quickly, but that still doesn't help her uh, make a credible case for what the president is, is doing. And what I find is when she makes these statements, she doesn't condition them saying, to the best of my knowledge or based on the information that I have of today. I mean, she basically says, no, he didn't He n- didn't know anything about those payments, right. right? I mean, she's very emphatic. And it's, you'll wonder if that cha- tone changes now because there, there seemed to be a realization that... This didn't go well. And and then on top of the Rob Porter situation, which she was upset by, uh, by how that was handled, you, you'll wonder if she'll start to couch her language. Sean Spicer, if you remember, started to couch his language at the end. Yes. He would go out and say, uh, you know, if he was asked about voter fraud allegations, for example, that he would say, well, the president believes that there were millions of you know, illegal votes cast in the 2016 election. He would never say, I believe that, or we believe that, mm-hmm. or this White House believes that. Mm-hmm. He would say the president believes that. Right. And that, and leave it at that. Uh, you know, I haven't, uh, I, I'll just mention this because, but at one of the White House correspondent dinner parties, uh, I ran into Sean Spicer, uh, and I said to him, just kind of kidding, aren't you glad you got out of there when you did? And he said, uh, F, expletive, F, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I said, off the record, <coughs> I, I wouldn't be telling the story, except he said, hell no, on the record. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Um, but um, the, I don't know whether you saw that former Clinton press secretary, Joe Lockhart, uh, over the weekend said something about his advice to Sarah Huckabee Sanders was that she should go to the president and say, look. Uh, don't put me in the position of telling any lies, right? Uh, you know, if you, if you if you tell me a lie and I go out there and tell a lie and do that like one more time, I'm out of here. Yeah, I mean, and that could involve her demanding accurate information or to be cut out of the loop on certain things so she can plausibly deny. And I know she does does this already because there are certain hot topics you'll ask about and then she'll say, well, I haven't spoken to the president about that. And a lot of times that's deliberate because she doesn't want to know the answer. Uh, because she doesn't want to explain it. Really. Right. Yeah. So 
So um, the president does say that one of these days, Rudy Giuliani will get his facts straight. I mean, <laughs> he's just he's just learning, right? He just started yesterday, right? Yeah. So um, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see if they ever get their story straight. And then you got Michael Cohen out there who hasn't talked in the last couple of days. No, I, I mean honestly, a lot of people say that's the same strategy the president should be following because. Uh, He's involved in investigations himself. He's letting his lawyers handle it. But, uh, you know, the president can't seem to keep his fingers off the Twitter keys. All right. So to what extent does this kind of overtake events at the White House? I mean, we still have preparation for a summit, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of other issues around the world uh, that the president has to deal with. Uh, is, does this consume, is this consuming a lot of his time and a lot of White House time? I think the preparations for those things are still happening behind the scenes, but I, it's it would be false to say they're not overtaking the focus. Uh, the president seems to be uh, consumed by it himself. Uh, he's, if you look at, excuse me, what he says, you know, look at that NRA speech he gave on Friday, where unprompted he brings up the what the judge said in Paul Manafort's pretrial hearing. I mean, he's following this stuff closely, and it's certainly. Um, front of mind for him because I think he understands that the legal risks involved for him in the proceedings with Paul Manafort and the proceedings with Michael Cohen. And uh, it's interesting because if you you know ask the White House about this or even ask him sometimes, they'll say, oh, you know, you, you guys are just trying to distract and, and we have all this this policy stuff going on on North Korea, on opioids. Why don't you ask them about that? And when you ask them about that, they don't really have a lot of answers, but they're more than willing to talk about mm -hmm. Russia stuff and palace intrigue. And so it, it's, again, it, it would just be, uh, well, look, the fact is that it is front of mind for the, for them, and, and that's just, and, and so the, I think that comes at the expense of these other issues sometimes. Right. Um, what is the latest that you know of about North Korea? Do we have, uh, is there going to be a summit? It looks like it. And do they have a place and a time? It's, it sure looks like this thing is on. Uh, the, obviously, that could all change very quickly. But right now, it, it's on. The planning is underway. The president himself has said they have a date and a time and a location picked out for this meeting. So that it seems to me that the planning is, is moving forward. Uh, he seems to want to say what, where it is and where it will be. I think there might still be some disagreement on where it should be. The president mm -hmm. wants it to be in the DMZ. I think his advisors don't necessarily want it to be in the DMZ for a lot of reasons. So we'll see. But uh, but this thing seems to be on track. But for sometime later this month or June, yes. I guess, huh? Yes. Right. It's amazing. This is coming up, and we really don't know right. when, when and where. Well, yet. think about how quickly this all happened. I mean, oh, it yeah. was only last yeah. month when this was even announced, and usually... It's of something of this magnitude would take maybe a year or more to put together in a normal administration. Um, last week, the president met with the president or the head of uh, Nigeria at the White House. Um, had a little uh, newser in the Rose Garden. You had a chance to ask a question uh, about uh, uh, earlier statements the president had made about Nigeria and some other African countries. Yes, the uh, I don't know <laughs> how does that the family go? program uh, the family program we, yeah. we just say s hole country. There you go. Okay, so I asked him about that, and <laughs> and uh, well, I, how, did I, I you, asked, how did you put the question? Well, I actually asked the uh, the Nigerian president Buhari mm -hmm. about it because uh, I thought right. that would elicit yeah. a, a more, <laughs> and I figured Trump would would weigh in himself because he 
you often can't help himself in those situations. So you ask him, what's it like to be called an asshole? Country? Yeah, well, I, I asked him <laughs> if he brought it up because there was uh, yeah, there's a lot of anger in in Africa about that statement, and and I thought it was a great question. Right, yeah. U.S. ambassadors were summoned to to the you know, the presidential you know for, to see the leaders of those countries to say what the hell are you guys talking about. And uh, so I asked him if he brought it up with the president, and he sort of said, well, you know, I, it might have been fake news. I mean, it was really kind of a dodgy answer. And, of course, the president jumps in and said, it didn't come up. <laughs> he didn't say at least I didn't say it, right? He did not deny it. In fact, he basically confirmed it. So there you have it. I have uh, – I, I, I was uh, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner um, – Sitting one table away from yeah. uh, from you and the uh, at the hill table, I didn't have a chance to see you uh, after the dinner. Uh, so let me ask you now, as a member of the White House Correspondents Association, uh, what was your uh, assessment of uh, the, shall we call it loosely, entertainment? Um, look, I think there's. Uh, I mean, I personally wasn't all that bothered by it because I I understand it's a comedy thing and. That's that, but I understand how people could be upset by it. So, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I, I don't think having like an argument about you know, is it bad, is it good, is you know, as so much time was consumed about it last week was is the best use of the media's time. I think that what the what's worse about it is this whole argument that's ensued about you know what to do and all that. And, and so I I just think that it's it's better if everyone just kind of like puts this under the the bridge and. It moves on, and that goes for the White House too. Do you think there'll be any other comedians at future dinners? It'll be interesting. I mean, <laughs> I, I think you know, Michelle, look, this, whatever you think about Michelle Wolf's act, it seems to have helped her career. So I think <laughs> I think some some comedians might want to do it as to whether, <laughs> whether they, the association will invite them. Is whether they question. be invited is right. another question. You know, right. remember what happened after Stephen Colbert <laughs> did uh, did did his speech um, when George W. Bush was president. The next year, you know who the comedian was? It was Rich Jay. Rich Little. Oh, Rich Little. Oh, Rich God. Little. He was bad. And it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's not going to offend anybody. He's not even comes close to controversial. He was terrible. And that's what we're going to get next year, too. So <laughs> That sounds right, yeah. yeah. It's, it's going to be someone who's going to make absolutely nothing close to controversial. If there is one. If there, if, if there is one, sure. But if there's no, what was really good about the early dinners, the president and then the comedian, you know, bouncing off each other, right? Well, when you don't have the president and all you have is a stand-up comic, it's it a totally It makes it difficult, different. yeah. It's a totally, totally different. Uh, yeah, and I think there are going to be changes to dinner no matter what because I think that there's a realization that this, the, the current format without the president there just doesn't work. Right, right. Um, we talked about the North Korea summit. There's this other summit that's getting a lot of uh, time. And Rudy, in between talking about Stormy Daniels, has also uh, been commenting on that. And that is a summit between uh, Donald Trump and Robert Mueller. Uh, the North Korea summit may be more likely to happen than this one, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think that's still up in the air. I, the, the, the president's lawyers all do not want him to sit down with Robert Mueller. They understand that if the president makes some kind of false statement or even just misremembers some facts, it could open him up to legal jeopardy. Uh, you, you know, even, even if he's not testifying under oath, you still can't make false statements to investigators. So they understand that, but the president all along has wanted to talk to Robert Mueller very badly, and he's made it very, very clear to reporters on multiple occasions. So 
right now his legal team is trying to work out some kind of agreement with Bob Mueller. But the president on, I think, believe it was Friday, kind of left himself an out, which was, I will talk to him if I think if I deem him to be fair. And of course, we all know the president thinks this investigation is a witch hunt. So, but then Rudy that, Giuliani on Sunday, yesterday with George Stephanopoulos, says, "Well, he might do it, but take the fifth. Right, which would be politically untenable. I mean, the, look look back to the campaign what the president said about the Fifth Amendment that only guilty people invoke the Fifth Amendment. Yeah, so. Right. Um, look, I mean, he he could do anything. I, I'm not going to rule anything out, and I think anyone who does has been following this administration. But <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it would be a, a tremendous uh, political firestorm if the president were to invoke the Fifth Amendment. Um, there, I think there would be ways for for the Justice Department to try to keep that from the public if if it weren't in fact to happen. But I can't imagine it would wouldn't leak out in some way, right. and so. That's a, that would be a big problem for him. Um, what's the status of um, John Kelly today? Is, is he in or out, or is he on? Oh, well, he's, he's out at his job. He, I mean, he's, yeah. he's going to work today. Um, look, I, I think. Uh, and you, in fact, uh, uh, Peter, the president just—I uh, think it was Friday. Yeah, on Air Force One. On Air Friday. Force One, he was asked again about about Kelly. General Kelly is doing a fantastic job. There has been such false reporting about our relationship. We have a great relationship. As we've talked before, that's the one thing you don't want to hear Trump say about you. He's doing a great <laughs> he job. Said he is a fantastic a, job. I, you're a great guy. Yeah. I have 100% confidence <laughs> in you. It's a, it's a looking for another job. But there seems to be, tell me if I'm wrong, it seems that they've sort of reached uh, almost a stalemate, like a couple who don't really have anything in common, but they just are too lazy to get a divorce or something, right? I mean, they've kind of worked this out, right? Seems to be. That's what it seems to that, that that's a good analogy, I think, and that's where I think seems to be right now, where the, the relationship has suffered damage. There's no doubt. Um, it's not like it was last summer when he first got on board. Yeah, the president right. was gung ho about all of these controls. Um, the president has broken free of those controls. He's talking to his his friends. Uh, you know, people are coming into the White House to see him. You, you know, he's he's tweeting with abandon. Uh, so yes, I, I think the the guardrails have come off. But John Kelly is still around. That would seem to me that the uh, the shelf life on that relationship is, is growing shorter and shorter by the day. But uh, but uh, at the same time, I don't know if a move is imminent. Look, the president would need a replacement for John Kelly theoretically mm-hmm. yeah. if he were to leave, and that, I think he's he's gonna find trouble uh, finding people who who want to work in that job. It's not going to be Kevin McCarthy for sure, right? No, Kevin well, McCarthy has his like, eyes on another another job right now. Right, right now, yeah. He well, ta- at one time he talked about Gary Cohn. Yeah, well, Gary Cohn quit the administration, right? Yeah, and well, he said he wants the Gary Cohn to come back. So, oh. <laughs> well, the Gary Cohn wants to come back is another question. Right. Yeah. Right. But for now, you think Kelly? Uh, you wouldn't. Uh, nobody's job is actually always like really secure. But no, no, no one. Right. Um, and finally, um, Gina Haspel. Uh, reportedly, according to the Washington Post, President Trump's nominee to be head of the CIA um, was so concerned about the fact that she might get denied confirmation that on Friday she said, uh, I'm just going to drop my name. And the, and the White House rushed in to uh, talk her out of it and, and t- talk her into staying the course. Yeah, a really stunning development. And, and it shows you how difficult that she believes that confirmation hearing is going to be for her. So... Look, I, I think it's still an open question whether she wins confirmation. Uh, there's a lot of questions, obviously, about her record on torture 
and uh, you know she. I, I think you. <laughs> You need to be all in if you're a nominee and, and and all in with the White House to put up that fight. And it was only really late last week when the White House finally started to put together some kind of public campaign to uh, promote Gina Haspel. And, and so they're going to really need to get their act together very quickly to try to make this nomination a success. Yeah, right. I thought it was telling that she said she didn't want to be the next Ronnie Jackson. Which only happened... Two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Again, it's hard to keep up with. I don't know how you do it, man. Um, but uh, you do a damn good job at it. Uh, Jordan Fabian, White House correspondent for The Hill. It's thehill.com. Uh, uh, and tomorrow you can read my column in The Hill. That's why one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I like The Hill. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Bill. Alex Seitzwald, uh, political reporter for NBC News, joining us next year. Uh, in studio, so we'll let you take a quick break and then we'll see you quickly on the other side. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we go, wrapping up on a Monday, Monday, May 7. Good to have you with us as we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, and there is lots of it. Alex Seitzwald. Political reporter for NBC News uh, helps us through this last uh, half hour together. Alex, it's always good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Hey, Bill. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Got to run fast. Keep up with the news these days, huh? Sure do. It's uh, it's nonstop. It's all the time. It's drinking from a fire hose. Choose your metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, so I guess my my first question is, if you um, you know were in a little trouble today and you needed a lawyer to help you through it, <laughs> would you hire Rudy Giuliani? <laughs> Uh, you know, it, maybe uh, on Thursday I would have hired Rudy Giuliani. He is a former federal prosecutor, former mayor of New York City. Seems like a distinguished guy, even if you disagree with him on the politics. But after uh, the Scaramucci-level disaster that he has been in the past week, uh, I, I would definitely not hire uh, he Rudy He is the new Mooch. He's the new Mooch, absolutely. I mean, will he last as long as Mooch? That's I, the question. Was will he actually last longer than Mooch? We're on like what day f- day five or six now. So if he I'd makes say, it, yeah. yeah. If he makes it to like next Saturday, then I think he has uh, outlasted the mooch somewhere around around there. But uh, the the un the lo- the amount of unforced errors and self immolation is just extraordinary, even for a White House that has set new standards on that. And we've all concentrated on uh, the very big and potentially legally relevant thing of him saying that Trump reimbursed Michael Cohen. But there's been a ton of other stuff that has just kind of flown under the radar that Rudy Giuliani's put out there. He called Jared Kushner dis, uh, disposable. Yeah, right. suggesting yeah. Robert Mueller, yeah, you can take him, just don't touch Ivanka, which is you know very dangerous politics inside the Trump world. He said that Trump likely paid off other women, not just Stormy Daniels. Uh, and it's just made a whole mess of their narrative and their timeline uh, that has just been, I, I think, a you know disaster from a, both a PR and a legal standpoint. He also said, uh, and, and nobody's talking about this, that it didn't matter whether Trump lied uh, right. <laughs> because that's political. Right. It's not legal. It's political. Right. So when Trump said, when, when on that famous very quick exchange on Air Force One, um, did you know about the payments? No. Well, that was... Rudy says there's nothing wrong with that. That was just a, um, lying to the media and lying to the American people. This is political. It was not illegal. Well, technically, it's not illegal, but it's all right. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, uh, first of all, it's so nihilistic, right? I mean, that I'm yeah. sure the president of the United States can just lie all the time about whatever, but it is legally relevant. 
in 2016, there was a case involving the Trump University where Trump was deposed and the lawyers, the opposing lawyers used PolitiFact and all the times that Trump had, uh, you know, told mistruths on the campaign trail to undermine his credibility as a witness in this deposition. They said, you know, there, there are facts in this case that we have to take your word for it on. Why should we do that when you have a proven record of mm-hmm. lying? And so so Rudy Giuliani is undermining his own case by admitting that Trump uh, lies here. And when he says, uh, uh, another way he's undermining his own case, when he says that this had nothing to do with the campaign, this was just to protect his family. Yeah. But then he also says, imagine if it came out. That's what I was just going to read. Exactly. Yeah. Imagine yeah. if that came out on October 15, 2016, in the middle of the, you know, last debate with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, it, it, what they were thinking about the campaign, of course. Well, like, you you already have to to you know disbelieve your lying eyes to assume that this was not political. There's there's just all a, a conventional wisdom, common sense would tell you the timing of this. Obviously, this is about politics. So they need to be extremely careful to not give even a hint, a whiff that this was about politics. And Giuliani just hands them a. a, a much more than a whiff on a silver platter there. And also, when he says this was only done to protect his family, what he's really saying is so that Melania wouldn't hear we'll about it. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he wouldn't get in the doghouse. It right. was to protect his prenup. Yeah, right. And uh, I don't know that that is uh, the best defense that you want to be using for the president of the United States. It's just amazing if we take a step back here. This is, we're talking about the president here, and a lot of these same people wow. who are going after Trump or excuse me, defending Trump, are the same people who went after Bill Clinton over uh, a, a less complicated, let's say, uh, issue. Uh, there were all, all kinds of other problems. There was no money involved either. There was no money involved. There were certainly <laughs> power dynamics involved that were no yeah, good. And right. It was, it was yeah. absolutely inappropriate. Not de- not, and, right, not defending what Bill Clinton did. Right, but, right. But, the, uh, but there's clearly some hypocrisy uh, going on here. We, we were talking about that earlier in terms of imagine, you know, the... You can't play that game because you'd spend. We'd spend all of our time playing that game. Imagine if Hillary had done this, or if Barack Obama had done this, what the reaction of the Republicans would be. But it's almost impossible not to think about that at a time like this. When, uh, okay, here we hear about that. Not only paid all Stormy Daniels, he did do it. He lied about it. He reimbursed the, the attorney. They did it to shut her up for whatever reason, and. Um, and then, and this is a porn star, right? $130,000. Have we heard anything from Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan or no. any other leading Republican in the House or Senate? No, I haven't. Right, right. And I saw the, uh, this morning uh, Judge uh, Janine Pirro, the Fox News. Oh, there's uh, a source. Yeah, yes. right. Um, who, you know, she's one of the Trump's biggest defenders. He's been on her show a few times. She just put out a book. Uh, that I swear, if you changed the the titles from Trump to Clinton, it could have been a book written by you know any Clinton defender in the Clinton years. It's it's something like liars, leakers, and liberals: the conspiracy to get the Trump presidency, which sounds exactly like Hillary Clinton's vast right wing conspiracy out to get Bill Clinton. I mean, it's just you know it's the same thing in verse, uh, and it's a kind of a sad state about our politics that. We just repeat these things, but change. Yeah, nothing's the really changed, has it? Yeah, right. Like, it's really all kind of the same. There's right. a there's a there's a script for these types of situations. Exactly. Uh, and you know, um, we Mad don't libs. we don't know what the story is going to be today. I mean, the story has changed uh, every day. And then you have 
Um, talk about an echo of the Clinton years, and I mentioned this earlier, Kellyanne Conway yesterday on the State of the Union, I guess, and she said uh, that, um, so do you believe that the president never had an affair or a one-night stand, whatever, with Stormy Daniels? She said, quote, yes, he's denied it, so I have no reason to believe otherwise. <laughs> Not the strongest uh, defense there. It sounds like the, no, but the president's I, own counselor doesn't believe. I, right, but I do remember people saying at the time about Bill Clinton. He says he didn't do it, and I believe Bill Clinton. Yep, yep. Well, I, I will say I, so, I've, I genuinely— uh, That's not what I thought at the time. I believe— You believed it? I believe Monica Lewinsky. I just didn't believe it was an impeachable offense. Yeah, right, right. That's that's That's—, that's, that's that that's a position I took the first night on Crossfire, and I never changed. And that's what I believe today. Yeah, what he did was wrong, and he lied about it. It's not an impeachable offense. Well, it's just you know, there's 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 kind of an Occam's razor that comes into effect with these kinds of things. When you know a guy like Bill Clinton, who has a long, well-founded history of philandering, gets accused of these things, it, it it's probably true. With right. Donald Trump. Again, with a long, well-documented history that he has bragged about, gets accused of something like this, pays off one hundred thirty thousand uh, dollars. You're not, you're not crazy to think it's true. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so then the question is, and I know you've been t- writing about this, uh, and and uh, trying to assess to what extent does this whole Stormy Daniels or all the problems with Donald Trump. To what extent, what impact does that have on the 2018, or could it have on the 2018 midterms? Yeah, I, I, I really think it's baked into the cake to a large degree at this point. Uh, I mean, this is a White House that has been engulfed in scandal from literally day one, you know, with the crowd size on inauguration. It, every single day, there's something new. It's just a, a not, you can't even really draw the lines between the Stormy Daniels scandal and the Russia scandal and the other scandal, because it's just... I think for a lot of voters, it just contributes to this general sense of chaos, this cloud that's hanging over the White House. So I think you're already seeing it in the numbers of that show, you know, huge Democratic enthusiasm, a Democratic lead in the generic ballot, uh, crazy fundraising numbers across the country. If things stay at the kind of level of uh, noise, controversy, scandal that they're at right now, I think it's it's basically baked in. You, you could. Well, when you say baked in, does that mean it? Um, will have an impact and will have a negative impact? Sure, yeah. It, it, I just think it's hard to, to absolutely will have a negative impact for Donald Trump uh, and, and and a positive impact for Democrats in exciting their, their base. I just think it's hard to separate it from anything else. But uh, negative impact on Republican incumbents in the ho- or candidates in the House and Senate? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, the whole, it's, a, it's a big chunk of the whole reason why we're talking about a blue wave even happening. Uh, is because people are, as as a, a very senior Democratic person put it to me, if you're, you know, the economy's going well, maybe you like the tax cuts okay, uh, but he used a food analogy. If you're having a nice meal at a restaurant, it doesn't matter how good the food is. If you see a rat running around in the kitchen and the chef chasing it, you're not going to eat at that restaurant ever again. So I think it's the same thing. It's incredible to have a president whose approval ratings are so low to have uh, you know, a generic ballot that's that's so lopsided. All these numbers are so lopsided. When the economy is basically at full employment, the stock market is booming. Uh, you know, you just handed out massive tax cuts to a lot of people. 
that's unprecedented. And the reason it's unprecedented is because of all this scandal and all this stuff that's going on. That's how people can have these two conflicting uh, views in their head at the same time. Right. Uh, so without that, right? Without if, the... if you turn the scandal off tomorrow, right? Yeah, I think that, I think that would be very good for Republicans and very bad for Democrats. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Uh, so I just spent five days in California, and um, with the several different events, all uh, there it is, all around my uh, uh, book tour, all around my new book from the left, A Life in the Crossfire. Uh, again, if you don't already have your copy uh, or want to find out more about it, go to our website at thebillpressshow.com. Fun read. Fun read. Everybody tells me. I think it is, too. I think you'll find it that. Um, but what I hear from people uh, at every event, I think, I got somebody came up and said, you know, uh, they, they, they're, they're feeling nervous, if you will, Democrats, feeling nervous because they're afraid that Democrats are going to just rely on the fact that a lot of people don't like Donald Trump uh, and that that's going to be enough. And that's n and they say that's not going to be enough. We need more than just an anti-Trump message. Do they have one? Uh, in a short answer, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of conflicting uh, messages they or, or somewhat conflicting messages. Uh, but... I'm not so sure. I, I will say I think they absolutely should be nervous. I think one of the Democrats' biggest problems in and 2016. And they do have to offer more than just saying, I'm not Donald Trump. They absolutely do. Um, and they and they should not take this for granted. That was the biggest problem in 2016 is they, they, they weren't nervous. That, that was the problem. They should be nervous now. They should stay nervous until November, you know, run through the tape, all that. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I think in midterms, you, you really don't need an overarching message other than I'm not that guy. I mean, if you go back and look at 2006 or 2010 uh, or even 94 with, with, yes, Newt Gingrich had the contract with America, but it was as much about positioning yourself as a, as being an alternative to the, the, the sure. guys in charge. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about corruption, you talk about uh, the, how Washington is being mismanaged, but you don't need to necessarily need to put together a whole package of policies that you sell people on because people don't really vote on policy you know to a large extent they vote on there's some policies that really energize people but they're not no one ticks through a list of position papers and says hmm they make some good points on uh health here but i kind of like the other guys <laughs> positions on trade you know no one votes like that uh so well I, i'd say relatively few very, relatively few people <laughs> yeah. yeah a tiny a tiny minority yeah. people. yeah uh it's about exciting your base it's about Convincing a few people who are queasy with the other side, maybe voted for Trump, have voted Republican in the past, that it's it's safe, the water's okay, you can come over here. Uh, that said, once they get in power, they're going to need an agenda really quick because uh, they got to figure out what they're going to do with with power, even if they only have a little bit of it. So, do you see the blue wave uh, sweeping the house? I right now, I would probably put above fifty percent chance of flipping the house and. Way below 50 of flipping the Senate. Way below? Way below. 30, 40% maybe. The, the map, these are just two parallel universes that we're operating in. Uh, it's a really strange dynamic and, and unprecedented. I actually just uh, found this neat little historical tidbit. If Dems flip the House while losing seats in the Senate, which is totally possible, it'll be the first time in American history that that has ever happened. Gain control of one chamber while losing seats in the other chamber. It's just because the Senate map is so lopsided, so heavily uh, tilted towards Republicans, 
while the House map is gerrymandered, but not nearly as much. So, you know, you get Democrats got to defend seats in West Virginia, North Dakota, Montana, these super right. Trumpy states. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's only one Republican in the Senate up in a Hillary Clinton state. Meanwhile, in the House, 24 Republicans up in Hillary Clinton districts. That's enough to flip the chamber right there. So much better chance of taking the House and the Senate. Uh, I, I want to. I want to challenge you on the Senate there okay. a little bit. I think the chances are better in the Senate. I'm not saying it's over 50 percent, but I think it might be 50 percent. I think it's changed. And when I be and what what makes me say that is when I look at, um, I'm sorry, not Illinois, but Nevada, mm-hmm. right? Uh, look at Arizona, where um, after what happened in Arizona, eight, I think Kirsten Cinema sees she, she'll benefit from a lot of Democratic energy and enthusiasm. Yeah. In Arizona. Uh, and then states that we thought were, were that might really have a problem. Claire McCaskill is luckiest candidate yeah. alive, probably. Again. Because, yep. Again, because of the mess in Missouri with the governor there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in um, West Virginia, where Joe Manchin could have been in trouble, it looks like Blank. I don't, we'll see. How yeah, you we'll read see, it, it looks we'll like Blankenship tomorrow. could end up being the nominee tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Um and then I think um, Heidi Heidkamp is not in the trouble that we thought she was going to be in. Uh, I don't know how, what you think about this Ronnie Jackson thing, but I think John Tester actually wins that rather than losing on that issue. I think I mean, that's right. And then you add Tennessee to the mix, which was uh, which is could be a gift from heaven in terms of Phil Bradenson running in Tennessee. So yeah, I, when I, I add those up. I think the chances are better. I think the chances are better. There's just zero margin for totally totally yeah that that's my that's my uh my big you know one gaffe one new thing that comes out of the closet that we didn't know about one unexpected result on election day and we certainly know those are possible don blankenship ends up winning west virginia i i could totally see that happening uh and it all falls apart have you seen any Republican candidates who are readily distancing themselves from Donald Trump. Again, you get in this crazy two parallel universe. In the Senate, zero. There is not one. It's it's incredible to me. There's not one Republican candidate who is distancing themselves from Trump. Even in these competitive primaries, you would think there would be a lane for, you know, oh, I want to be bipartisan and bring people together and you know, I'll be a check on the White House. I'll be independent. You don't even have to be anti-Trump, just independent. Mm-hmm. That does not exist. They are all running as, you know, Trump acolytes. Uh, they're all competing with each other to be more Trump. In the, in the House, totally different story. You have vulnerable incumbents who don't want to be seen with him. They'll, the, he'll come to their state and they won't, you know, appear on the tarmac with him, won't shake his hands. Uh, they're criticizing him, even raising the prospect of impeachment. So it's just a totally different universe in the in the House and Senate. Right. Um, it, it's... I find it both sad and stunning, some of the comments coming out of Arizona with people who have been to see John McCain mm. uh, in the last in the last week or so. Um, McCain saying, for example, that he regrets picking Sarah Palin and wishes he had picked Joe Lieberman. Yeah, I, he's. I think he's placing a bet on history, and he is seeing clearly how. This president will be remembered, or how he's thinking this president will be remembered, and he's seeing that you can draw a direct line from Sarah Palin through the Tea Party to Donald Trump, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with that. It's a little late, but he wants to be on record 
distancing himself from that. I think that is a good point. I mean, Don, Donald Trump is sort of the modern day right equivalent as of of where Sarah Palin has taken the Republican Party. I mean, or the expression of where Sarah Palin has taken the Republican Party. Would uh, Joe Lieberman on the ticket in two thousand eight, your, in your opinion, have result ended in a different result? Oh, I love I love these uh, counterfactuals. Um, I don't think so. I mean, that o- Obama's victory was so huge and so resounding, and the contrasts yeah. were so clear. And I think pe- very few people vote on VP uh, right, right. nominations. Right. Uh, and, you know, we have to remember, for Joe Lieberman, it would have been the second time around. That's right. <laughs> on, on two different parties. <laughs> two different parties, yeah. right? And he wasn't that great the first time around. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's possible maybe you would have gotten some uh, Hillary dead enders because there were some remember in two thousand eight mm-hmm. you know yes yes there, there yes. were some Democrats who really did not want to come around to Obama maybe they would have voted for McCain uh, with with Lieberman on the ticket but I don't think it would have made any meaningful difference aside from the way that this will be uh, a, a blot on McCain's record I I think frankly when historians look back at it's him. interesting that he now realizes that too yeah yeah yeah. He has to have realized that for a long time. But yeah. This is the first time I remember his. Uh, I know, can remember his publicly saying so, right? Um, yeah. That that was a colossal mistake that he was talked into by some uh, campaign aides who thought, you know, this would be a way to make history by the first woman, somebody totally out of the box. Right. You know, but like that's his legacy. That yeah. will be John McCain's legacy. Yep. And can't, like it or not, can't shake it. Can't like, shake it. Like it or not, and mistake or not, which I, I'm, I'm glad he understands now that it was a mistake. But like right. Sarah Palin being his vice presidential uh, uh, candidate, in a lot of ways led to the Tea Party, which in a lot of ways led to Donald Trump. Yep. Like there is a very clear line between John McCain running for president and Donald Trump becoming president. Um, and I think it is hugely significant Absolutely. that now we have two prominent. Two of the most prominent Republicans in the country, uh, one of whom has already passed and one who has not yet, both of whom said, we don't want Donald Trump at our funeral. Yes. Barbara Bush and John McCain. That, that is incredible. I mean, seriously, that's, <laughs> it, it, there's no, you know, maybe more lasting statement about what who Donald Trump is and what people think about him, what party leaders think about him, or what the traditional, if you will, or what do we call it, establishment Republican Party thinks about them. It, 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 absolutely. And it's what they think about them, and I, and I really keep coming back to it. I mean, when you are a president of the United States or when you're a senator of John McCain's stature, especially towards the end of your life, I think you have to be thinking about legacy and history, and uh, you're bigger than yourself at this moment. You want to you have a claim a place in history, and you know that taking an act like that will be remembered. It will be a mark. It's something that yeah, will show up yeah. in, in textbooks uh, when we think about this era. Trump was so extreme that even George H.W. Bush and John McCain didn't invite him to the funeral. And they want to be on that side of the line. They want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that they disagree with home policy. They don't want him at their funeral. Yeah, right? the president, the sitting president, the sitting president of the United, of the United States. States. Okay. What's Bernie up to? Ooh, he's... Uh, the. Never stopped campaigning. I, I it's incredible. For, he is the Energizer Bunny, right? For uh, a guy of, of I, I can't keep up with him at my age, and uh, I think part of it is to respond to the age questions. I mean, he's I think he's clearly 
looking at running again in 2020. Uh, he's wants to. He knows the age thing is one of his biggest vulnerabilities, so he's just been out there nonstop. Uh, he's been campaigning for House candidates. He's been holding policy roundtables. He just held one in uh, Philadelphia last week with mm-hmm. the new elected DA there, John Krasner, who's this very uh, interesting reformer, uh, anti. Um, mass incarceration criminal justice reform mm-hmm. uh so he's you know continuing to kind of cement what i think is the front runner position in the 2020 presidential contest no doubt in your mind that he's running in 2020 i don't see how he doesn't i mean uh if you if you've got a you came close one time you tasted it i don't see how you don't make another shot at it right alex eitzwald you can follow alex of course and see him on nbc news and msnbc nbcnews.com Thank you, Alex. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Bill. Have a great day, folks, and we'll look for you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.